We the people. We the people. We the people of the United States. We the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. In the summer of 1787, 55 men gathered in Philadelphia to consider how to make the government of the United States more perfect. Over the course of five months, they argued, debated, considered and rejected ideas, notions, and various systems. In the end, they created the Constitution of the United States, a document predicated on the idea that men can rule themselves by law. This is Constitution Thursday, a time when we look at the history, ideas, arguments, and interpretations of the Constitution from its original creation to today, and how it affects our lives now. Well, good morning, good evening, or good afternoon, wherever you are, whatever you do. It's Constitution Thursday. Yeah, it's um, it was time, folks, and I, I gotta be honest with you, there were a lot of factors that went into this decision to go more to just Constitution Thursday than than I probably should get into here, but I always said that if I stopped doing Plausibly Live, the Dave Bowman Show, the Constitution Thursday would be where we would end up. And here we are in the first episode of what I hope is a brand new iteration of of Constitution Thursday, one that I hope you will find interesting, that you will participate in, that you will find enlightening as well as entertaining. Text machine, voicemail machine, all that stuff remains the same. 209-565-DAVE is the text machine and voicemail machine number. Email remains dave at the davebowmanshow.com. None of that has changed. If you're subscribed via iTunes or the RSS, nothing will change there. It'll all still be there. It's just that we're not going to do... Uh, the daily slash weekly slash whenever I can get around to it, news issues and politics show anymore. Uh, There were a lot of reasons for that, but I just, um, there, there comes a time when you just hit when, when it's time to not do it anymore. And life has gotten a lot busier. It's gotten a lot more, um, well filled, I guess with, with day-to-day stuff. And it's just not, uh, it's just not, easy to do that in a in a meaningful way that uh that i felt like we could keep doing that but i always said if i stopped doing that i would continue to do constitution thursday Uh, constitution thursday is a big part of my life it has been a remarkable journey since we started it literally uh, just a little over 10 years ago january 10th 2010 was the first broadcast of constitution thursday it was uh it was a remarkable experience the the most amazing part of it to me has been, for me, the learning process. Um, 
while I appreciate that many of you have come along with this and learned with this, there, it is remarkable to me how little I understood that morning when I got up January 10th, 2010, and we started on this journey. It has been, uh, when in the radio days, there was a time when I went out to lunch one day and was met, greeted by, whatever you want to call it, a, a listener who was also a farmer who informed me at the time that uh, farmers, and this was this was well into 2014, I believe, uh, that farmers, I guess, uh, were were listening on Thursdays. They were they, was, they would listen. They would take their radios with them in the tractor so that they could listen to Constitution Thursday. And while on the one hand that made me feel, it gives you a warm fuzzy. Hey, people are listening to you. This is interesting. They like it. It also reminded me of the sense of responsibility here that you have to be faithful to to what's going on and and to what you're talking about. And that doesn't necessarily mean always <laughs> sticking to to what you uh, you believe. The problem with beliefs, of course, is that they are rooted most of the time in dogma. They are they are rooted in ideologies. They are rooted in a thought process that perhaps is not always complete. The current debates that we're seeing in the world today over covid are 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 symptomatic of this what what you believe about covid and what you believe about coronavirus says more about your political dogma than it does your actual scientific knowledge of things or or mine for that matter i mean i'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal that i know more than anybody else because i don't but somehow or another how we act how we believe reflects more of that dogma that ideology than it does anything else, which is why along the way, I started thinking about how I wanted to begin this particular iteration of Constitution Thursday. Obviously, we're going to be talking a great deal over the next weeks, months, perhaps, perhaps even years about the constitutional elements of how we are handling covid and even in the last week, we have seen remarkable things happen that shake ideology. I mean, they really do. Uh, I'm on record as having said the states have the right to declare states of emergency. It's right there in Article 1, Section 10. The Tenth Amendment reserves to the states the rights to do things uh, that aren't reserved to the federal government. But even in that, there are elements that state constitutions have to be taken into account here. And there's the whole doctrine of incorporation. And these kinds of things are changing almost momentarily. It seems like each time I, I log into my email, I've got another report from another court system in another state saying a different thing. It's, it's fascinating to watch. It really is. And I try not to make it as dull as it, it, it might seem. As you know, I like to tie in the history of things along with the modern events that are happening and try to try to take you along on a journey that will help you to begin to think scientifically, I guess is the best way to put it, logically, rather than emotionally or ideologically. When I think in those terms, I turn to the one man in history who, I guess... If I had to say there was one guy who taught me this lesson, it would be this guy. 
and his name was Johannes Kepler. Johannes Kepler was a scientist. He was an astrologer and the world's first astronomer, as it were, but he was an astrologer back in the 17th century, the early, early 1600s, and he was a man driven by ideology. Astrology was not seen in that era the same way we see it now. Now we, uh, we look at astrology as pure hokum, um, but that was based in an understanding of the universe that was different than the one that we have now. And the man who gave us much of that understanding is Johannes Kepler, along with Galileo and Tycho Brahe and, and, and others as well. But, but Kepler was the guy who discovered something along the way. And the problem that he had with this discovery was, well, you'll see in just a second. You may or may not know this, but there are what are known as five platonic solids, sometimes called the five perfect solids. In geometry, and I am no geometry whiz at all, uh, trigonometry is my area of, of understanding, but uh, in geometry, there are five perfect shapes, and these shapes are seen and have been seen since Plato's time as representative of divine perfection. And it is these five spheres, if you will, that Kepler, who was well well familiar with, he was a very good mathematician, a boring teacher by all accounts, but nevertheless a, a brilliant mathematician, he looked at these five platonic solids, the five perfect solids, and he looked at the traveling of the stars, and particularly of the planets. And at the time, the only known planets were Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. Six known planets, five that we could could observe. And the motions of the planets were very odd when observed from Earth. They, they tended to, particularly Mars... Uh, it, it, it does this loop-to-loop motion in the sky that didn't make any sense to people. And it was, it was that loop-to-loop motion that occupied much of the discussion in the early days of astronomy. Why is that happening? Because, again, the belief was that the Earth was the center of everything. And the only way they could account for this was weird machines and the likes of that. Kepler looked at these five perfect solids, and in his mind, because he was driven, again, much by dogma, he was really, really, really driven by his religious ideology. And his religious ideology, which was Protestant and Calvinistic, which is important to our story, but not as not critical, but he believed in a perfect God creating a perfect creation, including a perfect solar system and a perfect universe. And therefore, everything in it must be perfect, divine, as it were. And he looked at those five solids, and what he came to believe, and what he came to teach, came to understand, and what he spent the vast majority of his life trying to do, was create a, a model of the solar system that would match the observations that they had, the, the planets, the loops, the loops, the moves, and, and so forth and so on, and nest those, as it were, within a framework of those five perfect solids. That, this was his, 
his pet theory, as it were. This was, uh, I mean, we all have our pet theories, things that we believe, uh, even though maybe the evidence doesn't necessarily support that, but we, we believe them anyway, and we, we try to prove them uh, for years. And, you know, maybe it's something as simple as, oh, I believe that gravity is this or that, or uh, trying to give an example here. I, in high school, I was firmly convinced that Franklin Delano Roosevelt knew that the attack on Pearl Harbor was coming. And I spent years trying to prove that, that I never could. You know why? Because the evidence of it doesn't exist. Duh. Kepler believed wholeheartedly that this was the way of things, that the the orbits of the planets somehow had to be related to those five perfect solids. And they had to be nested within all of that in order to make things work. The problem was his observations were not accurate enough i guess is is the way to look at it. they weren't they weren't really uh they, they didn't have telescopes in the telescope was still a few years away from being invented it was coming but it wasn't here yet and he didn't have precise observations of the planets particularly mars one guy did by the name of Tycho brahe he went and uh through a long circumstances of uh the kind of stuff that would fill the gossip pages today he managed to work with Tycho Brahe and get a hold of his data, his actual observational data. And what he found from the observational data was there was no way in the world, there was absolutely no way to make this nested solid thing work with the, uh, with the orbits of the planet. It just couldn't be. In fact, at one point, he notes that the math... You know, it was off, and it was off, and it was off, and it was off. And he says something to the effect of, you know, if it was just a little bit off, you know, just a tiny, tiny bit of them uh, off, I could, I could, you know, <laughs> patch it up and, and believe in it. The problem is it was too far. The, the math just didn't work. And he finally said, it must be something else. It must be some other way, because this way that I keep seeing doesn't work. Now, the remarkable thing about Kepler is that he spent, even even after all of this happens, he does spend pretty much the rest of his life trying to make that work anyway. It's, it's, it's his pet theory. He doesn't want to let go of it. He wants, to, he wants to drive on with that, but there's just no way to make it work. And it's, it's a remarkable notation in history that he has this pet theory that he wants to work because it fits into his divine theology. It fits his dogma. It fits what he believes with his whole heart about a perfect God, a perfect solar system, and a perfect universe, but he can't make it work. And so, in all of his tinkering, he actually comes across the right answer by accident, and ignores it because he's so sure that this theological dogma must be correct. And in an era when things were a little bit, what's the word for it, <laughs> crazy, I guess, uh, when it came to religion, the, uh, the throwing of people out of the windows because they disagreed with you, and burning of people at the stake and that sort of thing. And, and keep in mind, this was an era when, you know, depending on where you lived, 
if you disagreed with the dominate, dominant religious beliefs of the leader of that particular area, you could very easily find yourself locked up in a tower like Galileo did a few years later, or, or worse. In Kepler's case, when this uh, little event that's portrayed here happened, the denefestration of Prague happened because of his beliefs, which were, were, which were Protestant. Okay, this is the important thing to understand. He had Protestant beliefs, and it was a Protestant area, but he was Calvinistic. He was a Calvinist rather than uh, more of a whatever else, Wesleyan, Armenian, whatever. And, and so that was not seen as acceptable. And so he was literally chased out of his hometown. He, he couldn't go back. His mother ends up getting arrested as a witch. Um, long story short, he gets, her, he gets her off on that charge. But the bottom line is religious dogma dominates the day so much that it's not really a surprise that Kepler, even though he already has seen the right answer and doesn't recognize it for that, continues to fiddle fart around with these five perfect solids trying to make an answer fit into something that isn't that way. And how often do we do that? We get our dogmas set. We, we are politically left, politically right, politically center, and we're absolutist about that. We are determined that the way we see things must be the way it is, because otherwise there's chaos, right? I mean, it, it still happens to this day. I mean... The, the Mishnah, the, the Talmud, is a discussion of, of religious law. This is, it's always remarkable to me. The, the Torah says, you will hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God, the Lord our God is one, and you shall say this when you rise up and when you lie down. It's called the Shema. It's our basic declaration of faith and our simplest prayer, I guess. But even the Mishnah, even the Talmud, in the very first argument of the Talmud is, what does it mean? Some rabbis say the time for recitation of the evening Shema is is until midnight. But Rabbi Gamaliel says, no, you can go until the sun comes up the next day, even though technically the night starts the other. And this goes on for pages and pages. People can look at the same thing, two people can look at exactly the same words on a page and come to polar opposite understandings of it. Those understandings are based in our own cultures, our own experiences, our own dogmas that we have built through the years. We tend to ignore things that don't support the things that we believe, and we tend to overblow those things that do support that. We give them too much credit for what they are. This is natural. It is normal. And I want you to understand that. I want you to grasp that concept. Because in the one thing I have learned in 10 years of Constitution Thursday, it's that the things that we hold near and dear to our hearts, the things that we believe passionately because it fits our perfect universe, our divine vision of what things must be, oftentimes turn out to be not quite that way. And it doesn't mean that we're wrong or that the other opponent is right. What it means is somebody else has looked at this and sees it a different way. And because of the nature of our nation, the nature of our government, and the nature of our, our system, sometimes we have to give that consideration, don't we? Now, if somebody comes out and says, hey, 
you know, I worship Cluthu and the world's going to end on October 1st. Okay, maybe we don't necessarily have to give that a whole lot of credit. But at the same time, there are things that we do need to think of. Kepler, when he finally realized that this nested solid thing was absolutely not going to work. There was no way in heaven or hell that he could get this to work. It just wasn't. Now, imagine imagine the frustration he must feel at that point. Because, again, this isn't just something that he wants to work. This is something that he passionately believes about his deity. And this is something that he believes that is absolute and he is struggling with this because how can this not work there are five perfect solids there are six planets this works it 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 makes sense and he doodles around and he doodles around and he doodles around and accidentally almost he comes up with the idea of an ellipse rather than a perfect circular orbit And all of a sudden, it's like the light bulb goes on, and he realizes that the ellipse explains everything. It explains the motion of the planets, the loop-the-loop motion of the planets. It's it's a a mind-boggling discovery. He eventually ends up with three planetary laws, and I'm not going to, we're not going to go into the math, so don't worry. Planets move in ellipses, that, that their orbits are ellipses, not circles. They equally sweep out areas in equal time, which means that as the planet speeds up as it's closer to the to the sun, it sweeps out the same amount of area in its ellipse as it does when it's in slowest at its uh, at its uh, perigee on the orbit. And the orbits are proportional. So all you need to do is figure out, you know, what the sweep is and you can figure out how big the orbit is. And so they are proportional, which is what he was looking for in in his in his thing, but Ultimately, these things became the three planet, the Kepler's three laws of planetary motion. The interesting thing about it is the day after he, uh, nine days after he announced the third one is when the denefestration of Prague happened, which began the Thirty Years' War. So even in the midst of this great scientific discovery, you have 30 years of destruction, all based on religion and not just Catholic versus Protestant, but you had sex in Protestant sect, not sex, but S-E-C-T-S. So you had Lutherans versus Calvins versus, I mean, it just, it was a mess, folks. And the the number of, of Europeans who would die over this is absolutely appalling. It's It's remarkable. And yet at the same time, Kepler's laws, this discovery, his communications with Galileo at the same time, change the world, but only because Kepler was willing to say to himself uh, the scientific evidence, the observational evidence is, this does not work. My beloved system, my perfect system that, that I believe God has doesn't work, and so it must be something else. And when he accepts that fact, when he accepts the reality that his dogma is not correct. It changes everything. It changes the world. It, it makes a world where today we take those things for granted. We really do. His legacy is that astrology has become, you know, a joke. And at the same time, we've been able to reach all of the planets now because we understand how they move. We've seen them up close, and it's, 
it's remarkable to think about a man three, four hundred years ago being able to do that, to, to come up with that, just looking at the stars, just looking up at Mars and watching it as it rotates around and as it, as it does its loop-to-loop thing. But what would have happened if he had stuck his hand in the sand and said, nope, it has to be these spheres. It has to be these five nested solids. It must be this. It cannot be anything else. And everything else is a lie. And stuck his head into the ground and refused to acknowledge the truth. Well, the world may be a different place. might have been a different place now. Possible or quite probable that somebody else would have discovered it along the way, but Kepler's name would have been forgotten, and we would be not as well off for that. In the end, you, you look at this and you think to yourself, well, there must be a lesson here, and that lesson is very simple. We have to open our minds. I'm not saying wide open to everything. I'm not saying you have to listen to crazy people. What I'm saying is when we read, study, interpret, and apply the Constitution of the United States, much like Scripture. Now, again, I'm not calling the Constitution Scripture, but our methodology of study must be similar. Our method of application must be similar. We must understand that, again, two people can look at exactly the same words on the page and come up with completely different understandings and interpretations of that. It's our mission to understand why. And like Kepler, if we find something that does not fit our dogma, does not fit our truth, the data does not support what we believe, we have to be willing to step back and go, hmm, then there must be some other truth here that we need to find. And in my experience with the Constitution over the past 10 years, my intense study of it, I have discovered that more often than I was really willing to believe I would have. When I started this, I had certain things that I said, this is what I believe, this is what is. And as you know, if you followed this for the last 10 years, you know that that has not always been the case. I have been surprised by things that I have learned. I have been shocked by things that I have learned. And I have been unpleasantly surprised by the degree to which some people will just tell you you're wrong and and that's it. They won't listen to you. No. Talk to the hand. They won't open their minds to truth. But the truth will set you free is what we what we say we all believe. And so we have to find that. And so over the next few weeks, months, years even, as we look at the Constitution, particularly as Constitution and COVID, and we see some of the interrelationships and how things are working together, we might find ourselves surprised by some things. We might find ourselves pleased by some of them. We might find ourselves angered by them. But what we have to understand is there's a process and there's a system. And remarkably enough, it works. We have to watch that because ultimately... That is how we are going to get back to a government that is by, of, and for the people. I don't think you're going to get much argument these days that it is anything but that. How do we get back to that? Well, it's going to come from the Constitution, and it's going to come from our willingness to accept certain things and to see certain things and to understand the process for changing those things. That's the most important one. Everything can be changed in the Constitution. 
how we do that is what really matters. How we do that is what changes things. And those are the things that I want us to spend the next few weeks, months, years looking at. Hopefully this will all, COVID will be all over soon and I can get a haircut and we can get on to some other things. But in the meantime, I invite you to join the Constitution Thursday Facebook group for discussion. Feel free to comment. Feel free to send me emails, dave at the dave Bowman show.com, And we will see you next week for Constitution Thursday.